I need. I need to get through the next moment. I need this moment. We're going to go ahead and dive right in to God's Word this morning. And we're going to be in 2 Kings chapter 4. So if you have your Bibles with you and you want to turn there, that would be great. If you don't have your Bibles, you can look on your phone um, or you can use your eyelids and look at the screen behind me. Um, I do want you to know that we are going to be reading a lot of scripture this morning. So it's okay if, you've, if you're like, man, I haven't been reading my Bible as much as I should. We're going to make up for it here this morning. I got you. I'm going to break the table. My goodness. Last week, um, my husband preached a message called Table Settings. How many of you were here for that? It was a great message. If, if you missed it, go online and listen to it. But he ended his last point. He said, there are miracles at the table. Miracles at the table. Have you ever found yourself in need of a miracle? Maybe it's something really big. Like, you know that if God doesn't come through, this won't happen. Maybe it's something like healing or helping a relationship. Or maybe it's just small. I mean, I pray for small miracles all the time. Every time I go downtown, I'm like, God, provide a miracle that I have a parking spot right in front of the place I need to be. Miracles. They can be big. They can be small. But we all need God to move on our behalf sometimes. Miracles can happen at the table, but they don't just happen because we sit at the table. You see, when God moves on your behalf, it's less about your position and more about your participation. In 2 Kings, we're going to find the story of a woman who knew something about miracles. It's the story of Elisha and the Shunammite woman, and we're going to start in verse 8 of chapter 4. Like I said, it's going to be a lot. Look at your neighbor and said, she said it's going to be a lot. And she doesn't lie. All right. 2 Kings chapter 4, verse 8. It says, one day Elisha went to Shunem. A prominent woman who lived there persuaded him to eat some food. So whenever he passed by, he stopped there to eat. Then she said to her husband, I know that the one who often passes by here is a holy man of God. So let's make a small, walled-in upper room and put a bed, a table, a chair, and a lamp there for him. Whenever he comes, he can stay there. One day, he came there and stopped at the upstairs room to lie down. He ordered his attendant, Gehazi, call the Shunammite woman. So he called her, and she stood there before him. Then he said to Gehazi, say to her, look, you've gone to all this trouble for us. What can we do for you? Can we speak on your behalf to the king or the commander of the army? She answered, I'm living among my own people. So he asked her, then what shall be done for her? Gehazi answered and said, well, she has no son and her husband is old. Call her, Elisha said. So Gehazi called her and she stood in the doorway. Elisha said, at this time next year, you will have a son in your arms. Then she said, no, my Lord, man of God, do not lie to your servant. The woman conceived and gave birth to a son at the same time the following year, as Elisha had promised her. 
The child grew, and one day he went out to his father, who was with the reapers. He said to his father, my head, my head. His father told a servant, carry him to his mother. After the servant had lifted him up and carried him to his mother, the boy sat on her lap until noon, and then he died. She went up and laid him on the bed of the man of God. Then she shut the door and went out. She called her husband and said, please send me one of the servants and a donkey so I can go to the man of God quickly and return. Why go to him today, he asked. It's not the new moon or the Sabbath. That's all right, she said. She saddled the donkey and she said to her servant, lead on. Don't slow down for me unless I tell you. So she set out and came to the man of God on the Mount Carmel. When he saw her in the distance, the man of God said to his servant, look, there's the Shunammite. Run to her, meet her, ask her, are you all right? Is your husband all right? Is your child all right? Everything is all right, she said. When she reached the man of God at the mountain, she took hold of his feet. Gehazi came over to push her away, but the man of God said, Leave her alone. She is in bitter distress, but my Lord has hidden it from me and has not told me why. Did I ask you for a son, my Lord, she said? Didn't I tell you, don't raise my hopes? Elisha said to Gehazi, Tuck your cloak into your belt. Take my staff in your hand and run. Don't greet anyone you meet, and if anyone greets you, do not answer. Lay my staff on the boy's face. But the child's mother said, As surely as the Lord lives, and as you live, I will not leave you. So he got up and he followed her. Gehazi went on ahead and laid the staff on the boy's face, but there was no sound or response. So Gehazi went back to meet Elisha and told him, The boy has not awakened. When Elisha reached the house, there was the boy lying dead on the couch. He went in, shut the door on the two of them, and prayed to the Lord. Then he got on the bed and lay on the boy, mouth to mouth, eyes to eyes, hands to hands. As he stretched himself out on, the, on him, the boy's body grew warm. Elisha turned away and walked back and forth in the room and then got on the bed and stretched out on him once more. The boy sneezed seven times and then he opened his eyes. Elisha summoned Gehazi and said, Call the Shunammite. And he did. When she came in, he said, Take your son. She came in, fell at his feet, bowed to the ground. Then she took her son and went out. You see, the Shunammite woman received a miracle because she made room for it. Today, I want to bring a message to you called Make Room. Touch your neighbor and say, Make room. Make some room. You know, I think there's times in life where we all need to make room. Something about me, um, I like my personal space. I desire my personal space. And I think you do too, because sometimes we say, hey, scoot to the middle to make room. And you're like, no, I was here at the start of worship. I picked my seat. I'm not moving. I can appreciate that. Some people don't need personal space. They're easy to identify because they're the people that are always in your personal space. <laughs> the people I live with in my home, they like my personal space. So I'm always saying things to them like, scooch, move, put the pillow back in the middle of the bed. I feel like I'm in this constant battle of trying to make room in my life. You know, maybe your thing isn't so much personal space. Maybe it's clutter. 
Like you need to make room because you've got some clutter. It's springtime, time to clean out the closets and the garage to make some room. Or maybe it's your schedule. Maybe you've packed it so full, you're feeling like, I've got I've to make some room for some, some more important things. Maybe it's your mind. Maybe you've filled your mind with all kinds of negative things and, and you need to get some help to get set free from them. Whatever the case may be, at times we all feel that we need to make room. But making room, I don't know, that's not always easy. If it were, I don't think it would be such a big ordeal to make room. But making room, it requires something of you. You see this table right here, I can't just look at it and, and hope that I could make room at it. I can't just sit here and expect that, it's, that room is gonna be made. I have to be a part of the process. I have to do something. Can you guys um, help me out? Can you bring out that thing? You see, the thing about tables is most of them come with something known as a leaf. A leaf can turn a table from a four-person seat to an eight-person seat. But just having the leaf doesn't make the table grow. Just sitting on it and hoping doesn't make the table grow. What happens is these guys have to unhook some brackets. They have to pull it apart. They have to pick up the leaf and place it in and kind of finesse it and finagle it around. They're trying to do this so quietly. They're doing a great job. They have to situate it. Eventually, oh, they, sometimes you have to rearrange it, you know? It happens. And then they have to kind of push it back together, and then all of a sudden, there's more room at the table. They're perfectionists. Give it up for these guys. Man. It's awesome. You see, now instead of having to hug the side of the table because my son eats like this, I can now sit here and enjoy all the room that we have at the table. If you want more in your life, if you want to see God move and miracles happen, you can't just sit on the sidelines. You have to roll up your sleeves and make some room. In our story, we have Elisha, who was a prophet, and he represented the presence and the power of God, the anointing of the Holy Spirit. And we have the Shunammite woman, who is just an ordinary woman. We don't even know her name. We just know that she was a, a woman that lived in Shunem. I mean, how would you ladies like to be known as a, a woman that lives in Lawrence? There are a few things that we can gather about her. We know that she was a prominent woman. Some translations call her wealthy or well-to-do. She probably was living a very comfortable and content life. But I also think she was detail-oriented because the Bible says that she noticed this holy man of God was passing by a lot. No one else in the town seemed to notice, or if they did, they didn't seem to care enough that Elisha was passing through. There are probably all kinds of reasons for it. Maybe they didn't notice because 
they were busy. You know, busy, it's not always bad. Maybe they were busy building their business or their career. Maybe they were busy raising their children or taking care of their aging parents. We don't know what the reasons were, we just know that they didn't notice. I wonder today, in our ordinary, day-in, day-out lives, where we're busy going from this thing to that thing, how many times do we fail to notice the presence of God? How many times do we let God just pass us by? We don't mean to, but yet we get so caught up in our things that we can miss him. And if we want more of God in our life, we have to make room. And making room requires awareness. I'm sure the Shunammite woman was not so different than you and I. I'm sure she had things going on that kept her busy. But she understood, I can be busy, and I can also be aware. You can be busy, and you can be available. She saw this man of God, and she said, I can't just have you pass by anymore. I've got to bring you into my life. She had an awareness of Elisha, and that there was something different about him. When you're not aware of something, it can completely pass you by. You can miss it if you're not aware. My oldest son is driving now, and that's a whole nother adventure that the parenting books don't warn you about. But when he started out, the first thing I said to him was, Reese, you have got to be aware of everything. Not just what's in front of you, although that's very important. You've got to be aware of everything around you. If you're not aware of that stop sign, you'll blow through it. If you're not aware of the sharp curve in the road, we're going to go off the road. If you're not aware of the car in your blind spot, you could cause an accident. Friends, if we're so focused on our own things, and we aren't aware of Jesus, we'll miss him. He'll just pass on by. Jesus is always around. He's always there. The Bible tells us that he never leaves us nor forsakes us. At the very mention of his name, he's there. But the question is, are we aware? Are we so desperate for Jesus that we're aware of his presence? You know, there's a story in Luke chapter 18 of a blind beggar who was sitting along the road, and he's hearing all this commotion, and he's like, what's going on? And the people say, it's Jesus. Jesus is passing by. And the blind man, he cries out, Jesus, have mercy on me. Well, the people, they rebuked him, and they told him, hush. But the blind man knew that he couldn't let Jesus pass on by. So instead of being quiet, He cried out even louder. You see, Jesus wasn't going to this man. He was just passing by. But when he heard the cries of this man and the desperation in his voice, he stops and he says, what do you want? The beggar says, I want to see. And Jesus says, receive your sight. Your faith has made you well. You could say this man got a miracle for crying out loud. 
That was funnier in my head, also at 9 o'clock. In chapter 17 of Luke, there's another story that Jesus is passing by a village on his way to Jerusalem, and there were 10 men who were kicked out of their community because they had leprosy. They were lepers. Jesus was passing through the town, and the lepers see him, and they recognize him, and they cry out, Jesus, Jesus, have mercy on us. We want to be healed. As he was passing by, he stops, and they cry out, and you know what Jesus did? He healed them. One more story. Jesus had just crossed over the sea. He landed on the shore, and he was coming into town, and, and as it always did, a crowd was beginning to form around him, and this man named Jairus came up, and he made room in the crowd, and he said, Jesus, please, my daughter, she's very sick. She's not going to make it. Will you please come and heal her? And Jesus said, yes, absolutely, let's go. But on their way, the crowds kept pushing in and pressing in and gathering. And in the crowd that day, there was a woman who had had an issue of blood. And she knew that if she could just get to Jesus, she could be healed. So she fought through the crowd. She made room for the miracle she desperately needed. And when Jesus saw her, he said, your faith has made you whole. Had she not made room, had she not pressed in, she would have died with her issue. I wonder today how many of us still have issues in our life that we are carrying around because we have yet to make room for Jesus. Because we have failed to become aware of his presence. You see, the people in each of these stories, they had all kinds of reasons to not cry out to Jesus. They were outcasts. They might have been embarrassed or ashamed of what they had. They couldn't see. They had nothing to offer. They tried everything else. The list could go on, but they became so aware of the presence and the power of Jesus, they knew all they had to do was make room. They didn't need everything to line up perfectly. They just needed to make room. Don't wait around for moments of perfectness. Make room for moments that help you encounter Jesus. Don't go to work and allow Jesus to pass you by. Don't raise your children and allow Jesus to pass you by. Invite him into every moment. Don't get to the end of your life. I think this would be the biggest tragedy if you were taking your last breaths and the only thing you could think was, I wish I had made more room for Jesus. Making room requires awareness, but it also requires something else. In verse 8, it says, A prominent woman who lived there persuaded him to eat some food. She persuaded him. You want to know why some people seem to always get miracles and some people don't? It's because those who experience God's best know that making room requires persistency. I'm a very persistent person. Thank God for persistent people. It was the persistency of people ahead of me that have made room for me today. And I believe that it's my persistency that's making room for the next generation to come. Now, 
I know a thing or two about persistency because I'm raising two of my four children who are very persistent. And I know dealing with them can be a challenge. Just this week, my husband was gently reminding me that strengths can sometimes be a weakness. While a persistent person's methods may not always be the most palatable, we know that sometimes no doesn't mean no, it just means not yet. Persistent people don't give up. The Shunammite woman understood something about being persistent. She persuaded Elisha to come in for a meal. That makes me think that maybe it took more than one invitation. You know, sometimes people need to be invited for dinner more than once. Sometimes people needed to be invited to church more than once. Don't give up. Keep persuading and being persistent in your invitation because sometimes no just means not yet. Soon she discovered that a meal wasn't enough. She realized that she needed what Elisha carried to dwell in her home. So she goes to her husband, and I'm guessing she probably had to be a little bit persistent with him. She's asking her husband for their dinner guest to move in. I'm sure her her husband was like, do what? Like, no, no, we're we're not doing that. Now, I have never asked my husband to build a room on our home for a lot of reasons, Um, but I have asked him for some pretty crazy things over the course of our marriage. And so, as I was reading this, I kind of put myself in their shoes, and I imagine it, it went a little something like this. She wants to build this room, so she asked her husband, he's like, honey, I love you, but you are nuts. That's not a no. So she's like, I gotta use a different strategy. So she waits for the right time. Maybe she cooks him one of those great meals that she's so good at. And she sits him down at the table and tells him all the things she loves and admires about him. And then she's like, honey, you know that room that I I told you about? Well, I was thinking like, if we did this, you'd get to go to the Home Depot. And I know how much you love that place. And also, like, I want this, and I'm willing to help out too, so I'll just go to the home goods and take care of all the furnishings. You won't have to worry about a thing. That's probably how it went out, at least, at least in my head. And regardless of how this actually played out, she knew this was important. And she knew that she couldn't miss out on making room. Even later in the story, her persistency makes another appearance when, she, um, when her son has died. She's not taking anyone's anything. She knows what she needs, and she's not leaving without it. I wonder how different her story would have been if she had lacked persistency or if she had lost her persistency. Her ability to be persistent even in the midst of pain made room for her to experience a miracle. She wanted more of God, but she didn't just say it, she pursued it. When it comes to our relationship with God, our pursuit matters. We can be around Jesus and not experience him. There's a difference between going somewhere and experiencing somewhere. 
Last year for our anniversary, um, some friends told us about this amazing steakhouse. They were like, this is the place you go to celebrate special occasions. So we took their recommendation and they were not wrong. This place was phenomenal. This is like nothing we'd ever been to before. And so we were seated at our table. We had a gorgeous view of the city. And all around us, people were enjoying fillets. It's almost lunchtime. Ribeyes. Can you start to picture it in your head? A big old porterhouse, sirloins. I grew up in Iowa, so I know a lot about beef. Steak was continually coming and passing by us. And each, each entree looked better than the previous one. And our waiter, I've never met someone like him before. He had so much knowledge about steak. He walked us through the menu and told us just how long they had been aged and how they, what they did with, I don't even remember, I, he had me at aged. He's like, Marissa, I've tasted and I've seen how good these steaks are. Now, could you imagine if we would have been like, gosh, we heard about all of it, we saw it with our own eyes, we smelled it with our noses. If we would have opened the menu, looked at the waiter and said, we'll have water. He would have been like, it's right there. It's all around you, it's for you, and you're gonna settle for something that doesn't even come close to what you could have? You're gonna settle for something that's so common you can have it anywhere? That would be absurd. Yet that's how some of us approach our relationship and our pursuit of God. We come to church. It's awesome. I'm so glad you did. Keep coming back. The Bible says in Hebrews 10.25 to not neglect meeting together. Schedule everything else in your life around being able to be in the house. But don't equate coming to church and experiencing Jesus as the same thing. Church is awesome. I love it. I'm a church girl. I think we have a great church, and I know God's hand is on this place. And you can come through the doors, and you can be enamored with the, the sound and the lights. You can enjoy the worship and the talent of the team. You can enjoy the message, and yet you can never experience the true power and presence of Jesus. You get to choose what you want. You get to decide, what does my pursuit of God look like? You get to decide, am I having the steak flight, or am I having water? Pursuit takes persistency, and often it means doing things when you don't want to do it. It means doing things that are outside of your comfort zone. It means taking a next step. It might mean lifting your hands. In worship. It might just mean not standing like this. It might mean saying yes when the message is being spoken and you're like, that resonates with me. I understand that. Our daughter is a super picky eater. She refuses to eat even the most basic normal foods. And Justin and I are constantly saying, Pippa, just try it. Your taste buds are growing. Your taste buds are changing. You're going to start liking some things as you grow, but you'll never know if you don't keep trying. 
The same could be said about our relationship with Jesus. The more we pursue him, the more our taste buds will grow. And the more we'll hunger and thirst for him in ways like we never have before. But it starts with making room. It's not always comfortable. And it's not always easy. But when we do, that's when God begins to move on our behalf. Because of what the Shunammite woman had done for Elisha, he wanted to do something for her. But she said, no, no, I'm good. But he persisted. And he said, this time next year, you're going to hold a son. And sure enough, she gave birth to a boy. And this young boy, he continues to grow. And one day, he's out in the field with his dad, and he says, ah, dad... I'm not feeling so well, like my head is really hurting. So his dad did what every good dad does, and he said, go find your mom. <laughs> so the little boy goes in, and he sits on his mom's lap, and right there in his arms, her arms, he dies. This miracle that had come because of her willingness to make room was now lying dead in her arms. In that moment, she could have gotten mad, but she didn't. She could have blamed God. <laughs> Why did you give me something I didn't ask for just to take it away? This is your fault. But she didn't. She could have become bitter. She could have just accepted it and been like, it is what it is. We had 12 good years, but she didn't. Instead, she picks up this dead promise, this dead dream, this miracle that she thought she would never get to experience, and she carries it to the very room she, made, she had already made for a miracle. I think she understands the power of making room for God in her life. She didn't wait for things to go south before she cried out to God. She made room for him when things were great. She recognized just how much she needed his power and his presence when things were good, and she knew because of her willingness to make room, she was positioned to receive. You see, making room positions us to receive. She didn't make a room because she wanted a miracle. She made a room because she was hungry for more of God. She knew that momentary moments would not be enough to sustain her, she wasn't looking for a meal. She was looking to be led. When Elisha arrives, he walks into the room and lays on the bed three times. He cries out to God, and God resurrects the little boy. The miracle she received was not because of who she was. It was because of who was in her home. She made room for the power and the presence of God. As we close this morning, I'm wondering, who have you made room for at your table? Have you filled it up and crowded it with things like doubt, worry, bitterness, unforgiveness? Maybe it's not anything bad that you filled your table up with. Maybe you've just filled it up with complacency. You know, settling for less than God's best. 
or if you made room for exceedingly, abundantly, more than you could ever ask, think, or imagine? Have you made room for the presence and the power of God? I don't want us just to be people who just say we want more of God. I want us to be people that make room for God. I want to be so aware of his presence in the midst of my everyday, ordinary life. I want to make pursuing him take priority over everything else. I want to experience all that God has for me.